From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Let's see if I still know how to work everything. We're on the air. Wonderful. Hey, how are you? It's great to be back in the cozy confines of our uh, Zoomerplex studio here in Toronto in Liberty Village. Uh, Tim Spreen, great job while I was uh, doing the show live from Greece. Thank you for your hard work. And enjoy doing the uh, the program from uh, Greece for the last five weeks. It's great to be home, though, I have to tell you. I saw the inside of a hospital, and the mighty Aphrodite saw the inside of a police station. <laughs> I'm just going to sort of leave that out there tantalizingly, and I'll maybe address that at another point when we have more time. We had a great time. Nothing serious. Uh, I think I mentioned on the air, the North uh, fell off the monkey bars and uh, hairline fracture. Cast came off August 9th. He's fine. The police station, another matter altogether. <laughs> Uh, maybe I'll bring the mighty Aphrodite on to explain that one. However, a lot happening, always a lot happening, but while I was away, a lot going on, obviously, some of which we addressed on the uh, the program. Of course, the situation in Egypt, and we'll address that at some point. But what I find particularly interesting is, have you noticed the mainstream press now covering, in the last several days, the three sort of Lollapalooza conspiracy topics Things that we've been discussing on this program forever, it's like the mainstream media now is just sort of starting to wake up finally. And it's weird because, as I say, in the last few days, we have newspapers, mainstream media outlets reporting on Area 51. We just talked about it a couple of weeks ago with Grant Cameron and Victor Vigiani. The headlines screaming, Area 51 is real. CI documents show. Well, duh. Hey, welcome to the dance. As I say, we've been talking about that for a very long time, but uh, and, and at some point we'll address this. But it is fascinating. You know, the CIA now releasing documents which have been made available by the uh, National Security Archives. And for years they've been hinting at it, but they've always released these documents heavily redacted. And, uh, you know, they've been willing to, to admit that there was a Nevada test site, but they've never actually used the words Area 51 before. But now they're conceding yes. There is an Area 51. But we all know that, right? For those who uh, listen to this program. And the other one, of course, is Scotland Yard now assessing new information about Princess Diana's death. So here we go again, 16 years later, almost to the date. And we'll address that at some point, as we do quite frequently. But now, you know, I I almost feel bad because I, I feel like I have to respond now on this program and readdress things that we talk about constantly just because the mainstream media is finally waking up and talking about them. Now, the other one I find interesting is uh, JFK, of course, which is the granddaddy of conspiracy theories. Just reading this in the National Post. In fact, I, uh, I tweeted it. And you can read, you can follow my tweets at uh, Richard Serrett. Five decades after President John F. Kennedy was fatally shot and long after official inquiries ended, thousands of pages of investigative documents remain withheld from public view. Again, duh. The contents of these files are partially known and intriguing, and conspiracy buffs, I like the words they use, conspiracy buffs, are not the only ones seeking to open them for a closer look. Some serious researchers believe the off-limits files 
could shed valuable new light on nagging mysteries of the assassination, including what U.S. intelligence agencies knew about accused assassin Lee Harvey Oswald before November 22, 1963. It turns out several hundred of the still-classified pages concern a deceased CIA agent, George Joannides, whose activities just before the assassination and, fascinatingly, during a government investigation years later have tantalized researchers for years. This is not about conspiracy, this is about transparency, said Jefferson Morley, a former Washington Post reporter, uh, and on and on it goes. Anyway, I've tweeted that article, but it's interesting again that these three stories, Area 51, the death of Princess Diana, some would say the murder of Princess Diana, and JFK, would all pop up in the mainstream media. Well, as I said, we talk about JFK all the time, and uh, we're going to resume our JFK series tonight. Tonight is Connecting the Dots, Part 5 with our assassination researcher, James D. Eugenio, who is co-founder of two organizations, the Citizens for Truth about the Kennedy assassination and the Coalition on Political Assassinations. He's the co-editor of The Assassinations, a book on the deaths of JFK, MLK, RFK, and Malcolm X. And he is the author of the recently published second edition of Destiny Betrayed, JFK, Cuba, and the Garrison Case, Welcome to the Conspiracy Show once again, James D. Eugenio. Hey, James, how are you tonight? Good evening. Just wanted to get a quick take on another interesting aspect of JFK, and that is that PBS has this new series called Nova, Cold Case, JFK, and they're doing the press tour now, and of course, they are totally supporting the Warren Commission, the, the lone gun theory. Have you seen the series, and what is your take on it? Well, I'm, I'm actually glad you brought that up because I'm actually doing an article on this because one of the people that they're doing the press tour with is the infamous John McAdams. Yes, now, I don't JFK. Know if you ever, have you talked about him on your show? Um, he sent me a book a number of years ago. Uh, was that called JFK Logic? Assassination logic. Assassination logic. Yes, he tries to pick apart the various, you know, conspiracy theories. Uh, One of the worst books ever written on the JFK case. Yeah, I had that sense, which is why I never had him on the program. I, I leafed through it, well, and I thought. Anyway, I, this yeah. director, Rush Denuyer, did, did you did you go to the press conference? No, no, but I've been reading about it. Okay. Evidently, they took a press junket. Were they actually there in Canada? I don't believe so. No. Okay. Because I, I didn't know PBS reached into Canada. Okay, it, it, it might. I, I, I'm not sure. Yeah, the, anyway. the WNED in Buffalo is uh, Buffalo, Toronto, PBS. Oh, so that goes into Toronto? Absolutely. Oh, okay. All right. So this director, Rush Genoyer, evidently decided that he was going to hook up with John McAdams, which, which is an utter disgrace because the idea of putting a scientific show based on the information given to him by John McAdams is, is, is ludicrous. In fact, I'm writing a two-part article you know, on McAdams. It's on my website now, part one. I'm working on part two here, and this is going to be the uh, part where I discuss this new PBS show. Now, the article that I saw tells you everything you need to know about these series. Here's the first sentence. Sorry, conspiracy theorist, modern forensic science shows that John F. Kennedy was likely killed by one guy with a grudge and a gun, said Professor John McAdams during a panel for NOVA's 
cold case JFK on Wednesday at a television critics' press tour in Beverly Hills. See, this this is ridiculous. Anybody who understands the forensic science in the JFK case knows that if you put together all the evidence, the last thing in the world it reveals is the case against Oswald. In fact, when you add in all the evidence, it distinctly points against Oswald or against any single gunman. You know, the idea that that's the first sentence that they wanted to get out there tells me they didn't do the show as an honest exploration of the facts. They did it with an agenda from the beginning. How else could you do it that, in any other way with John McAdams, you know, as one of your consultants? You right. know, he has a history of being in the Warren Commission camp ever since he began to first surface on the Internet back in the early 90s after Oliver Stone's film came out. You know what I find you know, these so th- these types of, of programs, what they're trying to do is not so much you know, prove their case. They're trying to demonstrate or they, they, they're trying to make this argument that they're trying to figure out what makes conspiracy theorists tick. And they always come up with this idea that there's something comforting in believing that there's some dark force out there rather than some random, you know, little person like Oswald who can turn the tide of history. That's what these shows are about. They're trying to, you know, they're trying to climb inside, you know, what makes conspiracy theorists tick? You know, what's going on inside their brain? Rather than explore, for example, the arguments that you make and the, the facts that you bring and the evidence that you bring, rather well, than... Let's just, let's just for a moment, see, if, if you read the article, what I thought was so curious about the article is that although they let off with that sentence, they never revealed the information that they're going to base this story on. So if you don't reveal the information, which you're going to use, then, of course, you can say anything you want because you're kind of holding it. You're like Monty Hall holding it behind the curtain. What do we have here? Well, we don't know what we have here. But I'm telling you, after 50 years... I've seen everything the other side has tried to put together to support this thing, beginning from the FBI to the Warren Commission to the Rockefeller Report to the House Select Committee on Assassinations to JAMA. You know, I've seen them all. Well, here they're going to try and and dazzle us with forensic scientists using a 3D crime scene reconstruction, virtual (laughs) autopsies. I don't know what a virtual autopsy is. High-speed cameras and other technologically advanced tools. Come on, James. They've got technologically advanced tools. As James Siebert, the FBI agent at the Kennedy's autopsy said, look, when you try and do an autopsy without the body, that's not science. That's magic. Okay? Uh, Okay? And that's what these guys are going to try and do. They're going to try and do the autopsy without the body. How can you possibly do that? But let me mention two points, which I predict this show will not bring up. Kennedy was supposed to have been killed by two shots. That's what the Warren Commission says. We all know that's wrong. But let's take their story. Two shots. One that the Warren Commission says entered the back and exited the throat. One that entered, the Warren Commission says, entered the base of the skull and exited in front of the right ear near the temple, okay, on the side of the head. Now, any professional autopsy would know that when you have a gunshot wound, one of the very first things you have to do is dissect the track of the wound. What that means, of course, is that you go in 
and you put what they call a malleable probe in. James, I hate to jump in here, but we got the music percolating up. I got to take a timeout. We'll come back and we'll pick up right. on this point. Uh, James D. Eugenio, author of Destiny Betrayed, JFK Cuba, and the Garrison Case, Episode Five tonight. JFK connecting the dots here in the Conspiracy Show. But no, what happened was Oswald's gun went off, causing an echo to echo through the buildings of Dealey Plaza. And the echo went by the limo on the left, up into the grassy knoll, hitting some leaves, causing dust to fly out, which 56 witnesses testified was a gunshot, because immediately Kennedy's head went over. But the reason his head went over is because the echo went by the motorcade on the left, and he went, what was that? So there, we have figured it out. Go back to bed, America. Your government has figured out how it all transpired. Go back to bed, America. Your government is in control again. When in doubt, blame the government. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. There we go. Bill Hicks, the great Bill Hicks, uh, bringing us back in with some very sardonic comments about the uh, the Warren Commission, I guess. James D. Eugenio is uh, with us in our continuing uh, series, now uh, Episode 5, as we commemorate the 50th anniversary this year of the assassination of JFK. James, of course, the author of Destiny Betrayed, JFK, Cuba, and the Garrison Case. Just a few more thoughts. We're talking about this uh, Nova Cold Case uh, series in which they continue to prop up the uh, the Warren Commission lone gunman version. James, before the break, you were talking about the autopsy. Let's yeah, just finish it, up on that. One of the things I'm curious about, if this show is going to deal with, as I was saying, the Warren Commission states that there were two gunshot wounds in Kennedy. Now, as any professional autopsist will tell you, you know, the first thing you want to do is dissect the track of both wounds. Now, why do you want to do that? Because, number one, you want to figure out directionality. In other words, from which way did the bullets come? The second thing you want to figure out is, were they what they call through-and-through wounds? In other words, did they actually go all the way through the body? In this particular case, if you can believe it, and, you, and anybody who's familiar with this case probably can, there was no tracking of either one. There was no tracking of the wound that went through Kennedy's back, supposedly went through his back, okay? And there was no tracking of the bullet that went through his head. That does now, seem odd. Why would that be? Now, that, well, look, 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 let me explain. See, the way you do that with a headshot, the way you track the bullet's uh, path through the headshot is what they call a sectioning of the brain. You chemically treat the brain to preserve it and make it a little bit harder. And then after a few days in the preservative, you go ahead and you cut apart the brain so that you can see the path of the bullet. Well, see, as everybody who knows this case understands, somehow Kennedy's brain disappeared. Mm-hmm. Now, I go through this in my book to try and explain how bizarre this is because the other part that's so weird about this is that there was no weighing of the brain the night of the autopsy. Let me say that again because yeah, this is so please bizarre. Do. Please do. <laughs> that it's, it's just so far out there. It's, and I wonder if they're going to deal with this subject. There was no weighing of the brain the night of the autopsy. In other words... A guy dies of a gunshot wound to the head. You're doing the autopsy. 
when you start taking apart the vital organs, you don't weigh the brain. See, that's a no-no. That is a no-no. Yeah, I've seen okay? enough episodes of Quincy to know that. Yeah, right. Now, the brain was not weighed until later. Now, let me tell you something else about this. When they actually did record a weight for the brain, it came in at 1,500 grams, which is at the very top end for a guy the size of Kennedy. In fact, it even exceeds a little bit the top end. You know, if you go to any medical examiner and you tell them that uh, this guy was 6'1", he weighed 175 pounds, and he had a brain that weighed 1,500 grams, boy, that's a pretty... You know, now, what makes that so unbelievable, of course, is that if you look at the witness testimony, if you look at the Zapruder film, if you look at the back of the car... I know where you're going with this, it, yeah. Most of the brain was left on the... Kennedy's brains were flying all over the place. Exactly. So how in the hell can you have a brain that is actually beyond the upper limits of what it should be when you have that kind of damage recorded in so many different places from so many different sources. It's utterly ridiculous. Now, someone like me who understands that in this particular case, when you suspect the worst, you're going to be right more than you're going to be wrong. You know, right. I suspect that the reason the brain wasn't weighed that night is wrong, that it actually was weighed that night. But they didn't want to record that weight because it would have been too much damage for one shot to the head. Ah. If the brain weight would have come in at, say, like 800 grams... Half of it's missing. And they said, well, wait a minute. How can one bullet that went from the back out the front dislodge that much volume from somebody's brain? I suspect something like that happened. Yeah, that makes and a great deal of sense. And, and, and they dumped that, okay, and they said, okay, let's go for this. Yeah, fill in the blank. And let's go ahead and put pictures in the archives that look like a full brain. They'll have them under seal. Nobody will see them, and nobody will be able to question the fact that, wait a second, that brain looks almost completely intact. But how the heck does that match up with what we see in the Zapruder film, with what the witnesses said, and what we said? That doesn't make any sense at all. Well, let's see uh, uh, how they, they deal with that on Nova's yeah, uh, cold I, case. I, I want to see how they're going to deal with something like that. Well, it, you and know, I'll if for no other right reason, now. it might be worth watching just for a laugh-out-loud moment. Exactly. I'll tell you right now, they're not going to deal with it. Because if they deal with it, you know, they're going to have to say, well, wait, those conspiracy theorists are right. And John McAdams is wrong. And I'm glad you actually brought this subject up. We're about, what, three months out? Ex the yeah, anniversary, Three yes. months out from yes. the anniversary, a little yeah. bit more than that? Yes. Okay, about three months in one week. You watch. You watch how many of these shows are going to be coming down the pike. Yes, and how many okay. of them will in, have in Michael next... Shermer in them? <laughs> how many will have as the skeptic Michael Shermer? <laughs> Mr. Skeptic? Yes. <laughs> it's He's their go-to guy. I mean, I, I have to admit, I, I, I've had him on a few of my television shows because we have to have a skeptic. But anyway, that being said, you know, the reason I, one of the reasons I brought it up, Jim, this Nova cold case, is because I'm getting so many angry emails uh, from my listeners who are just fed up with this type of program and said, you know, here we go again. I, I can see them rolling their eyes as they're typing this email and sending it to me. So anyway, that's why I address that. But the, well, here, let, 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 let me give you some advice. This guy, the director of this show, is somebody named Rush Denoyer, D-E-N-O-O-Y-E-R. Yes. I think he has a Facebook page. Why don't you go ahead and put a notice on your website? You know, hey, look, you guys, if you're tired of this baloney, why don't you go ahead and email Rush Denoyer at his Facebook site and say, hey, 
why don't you get rid of John McAdams and get somebody on your show who really knows the facts of the JFK medical evidence? Okay, that, that's a great you idea. You don't make a fool out of yourself. That's a great idea. Listen, James, yeah. uh, before we proceed with uh, our um, our episode tonight on uh, JFK, connecting the dots, I, I wanted to give you an opportunity to tell people because I'm getting a lot of emails. People want to know how do they get a hold of your book, Destiny Betrayed, JFK, Cuba, and the Garrison case. So let let us know how do we get a hold of it. Oh, okay. Well, you can get it off Amazon.com. Okay, it's it's on Amazon.com. All right. And you can also go to my publisher, which is Skyhorse, out of New York City, all right? And it's also available through Barnes and Noble. Okay. Now there, there's also an ebook version that you can get, and you can get that off Amazon.com. Uh, it's in also on it's on Kindle and Nook. Okay, so you can get it off both of those um, techniques, the, both of those processes. All right, great. All right. Uh, the thing that we were, we were going to discuss tonight is actually not oh, let in... Oh, let me add one more thing. Yes, yes. There's actually a page for my book. I have a page for the book, destinybetrayed.com. And on the last page of the book, there's ways you can order the book. All right, destinybetrayed.com. That's the quickest and easiest way probably for people. Click on that. Yeah. I always like that, you know, if we can't drive them to your website, you know, rather than going straight to Amazon. So okay. thank you for that. Right. Now, the, the thing that we're going to talk about tonight isn't in your book, but we're going to spend maybe a half hour on it anyway, because I think, you know, when I met you in that hotel in L.A., you had me totally enthralled with this. Uh, and this has to do with what we'll call, I guess, the mystery of the mail order murder weapon, uh, the uh, the Carcano rifle that uh, was allegedly used uh, to, to fail the, uh, the president. Now, the weapon, supposedly, according to the, War- the Warren Commission, was ordered by Oswald when? March of 1963? Yes. Now, oh, no, no, no. It was actually ordered earlier than that. It arrived in March of 1963. All right. Now, okay. assuming that Oswald did order that rifle, I mean, what, to what purpose, for what purpose? Because he wouldn't have, you know, it hadn't been announced that Kennedy was coming to Texas, to Dallas. You know, what, what would the thinking have been there? Why would he have ordered that rifle? Well, that's, that's a, that's a good question. Because here, here, see, in Oliver Stone's movie, you know, he brings up the question, why would you go ahead and mail order a rifle when you could buy one in Dallas, Fort Worth area, over the counter, which really would be very difficult to trace. But there's an even better question. If Oswald ordered that rifle, I'm sure most of your most of your listeners know that Oswald was arrested in New Orleans in August of 1963. This was when he got in this altercation with Carlos Bringier. Okay, of the DRE, and they were arrested for disturbing the peace. This is when uh, when when Oswald is delivering delivering flyers for uh, Fair Play for Cuba. Yeah, he's handing out flyers on the street. Right. Okay. Now he then gets arrested, and he then instead of paying the bail money, which I think was twenty five bucks, he actually wanted to actually spend some time in a cell. All right, and he asked to be interviewed by an FBI agent. Now, just think about that for a minute. What kind of communist goes to jail and has to be interviewed by an FBI agent? But anyway, he was. Now, when he was arrested, 
he supposedly turned over to FBI agent Quigley a ID card with the name Alec Heidel on it. Right, A. Heidel. Okay? Mm-hmm. Now, follow this very clearly. This is August. This is like the third week of August. Okay? Kennedy is going to be killed in three months. Okay? According to the Warren Commission, Oswald ordered that rifle under the name of Alec Heidel. Yeah. Who on earth could be that stupid? Right. right. In other words, the FBI now knows how to trace the rifle because you gave them a guard with that name on it, and then you're dumb enough to use that rifle to kill Kennedy? Right, right. See, these kind of things don't happen in the real world. Okay? They don't happen in real life. Very, very seldom... Do criminals make it that easy? Okay, are, are are they that stupid? Right? See, this makes absolutely no sense. And for a long time, for a long time, you know, people just accepted that that was Oswald's rifle for a long time. And because p- people kind of get the first generation of critics in this case, like Josiah Thompson, Sylvia Marr. Mark Lane, Harold Weisberg, they accepted certain things, okay? For example, they accepted, most of them, that Oswald went to Mexico City, okay? Which we, which we which dis- discussed last... Which uh, baloney. Right. Okay? Okay. They accepted, for example, the story about, um, you know, Wesley Frazier, that the curtain rod story. They accepted the story of Marion Baker, who... That's the cop who pulled up in his motorcycle, ran up the stairs. He says he saw Oswald at this soda machine on the second floor drinking a Coke. They accepted those things, which are all questionable today. Those are all questionable today. Yes. I would say all all three things are wrong. Okay? And they also accepted this, that somehow Oswald ordered that rifle, which today I'm certain was wrong. All right, listen, when I'm we come sure back... That Oswald didn't order that rifle. Listen, when we come back, James, you'll walk us through, uh, you know, uh, Oswald supposedly ordering this rifle from an ad in American Rifleman magazine. He sends a money order to Kleins in Chicago. Uh, and um, this is just a remarkable... <clears throat> excuse me, a remarkable story, and, and you tell it so well uh, and so poignantly. Okay. We'll, uh, we'll pick up on that. James DiEugenio is my guest as we discuss JFK, Connecting the Dots, Part 5... He, the author of Destiny Betrayed, JFK, Cuba, and the Garrison Case, back with more. My name is Richard Serrett. Corporations, governments, and sometimes entire civilizations, what goes up must come down. And it lands on The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. You know, one of the interesting things is when you're talking about JFK or 9-11 or what have you, uh, a, a skeptic or a debunker, really, what, one of the things that they'll often throw in your face is Occam's Razor. Occam's Razor. You keep hearing that. You know, the simplest answer is most often the correct answer. Well, if you apply Occam's Razor to the JFK assassination, the simplest answer is multiple gunmen. Right. And, and, and more than one shot or more than two shots. Uh, 
so you can turn that around. Next time someone throws that in their face, just throw it right back. Anyway, James DiEugenio is with us, the author of Destiny Betrayed, JFK Cuba and the Garrison Case, as we discuss uh, the, mis- uh, the mystery surrounding the mail-order murder weapon in the JFK assassination. Now, so at the time, uh, walk us through this. The, the uh, Oswell supposedly takes out a, a post office box in Dallas under the name of, was it under the name of A. Heidel or under the name of Oswald? Oh, no, that's one of the big problems. That's one of the big problems. One of the very big problems with this, which in my opinion sinks it, is that he did not take it out in the name of Heidel. He took it out in his name. Okay? Now, but before we get to that, let's talk about there's two parts of this transaction. There's the part about sending it in, and there's the part about delivering it. Okay? So let's concentrate first on the sending part. Okay? Because there's just as many problems with the sending part as there is in the delivery part. Right. Although to me, it's a delivery part which sinks the whole thing. But you're talking okay. about now but buying we, and mailing the money order. Buying and, and right. mailing the money order. Okay, yeah. so let, let's concentrate on that. But first of all, I think you know, and I think most of your listeners know, that this was not the first rifle reported. You know that, don't you? The first rifle the, that Oz... The, um, what do you mean? This was not the first rifle reportedly found on the sixth floor. Ah, yes. They they, they talked about uh, uh, another type of weapon. Was it a Mauser? It was a 7.65 Mauser. Yes. Okay. That was the first weapon. And there's three affidavits in the Warren Commission volumes that say that. Okay? So right then and there, there's a problem. Okay? Because it's literally impossible to think that three cops could could say mistake the Mauser for the Manicurkano for the simple reason that the Manicurkano rifle has stamped right on it 6.5 caliber made in Italy. How on earth could you mistake a 6.5 made in Italy for a 7.65 made in Germany Mauser? That's just idiotic. Okay? So what happened is that as the hours and the days wore on, the 7.65 Mauser disappeared, okay? And it was replaced by this 6.5-millimeter Manica Carcano rifle, okay? And that as the hours wore on the next, into the next day and the day after that, there began to be this so-called paper trail that said Oswald had ordered this rifle through clients in Chicago he had picked it up at the post office. This was the rifle that he then took to New Orleans with him, and this is the rifle that was stored in the, in the Payne's garage, and this is the rifle that he put together this package with, and this is the weapon that was he had in his brown paper pouch, and he took on that morning to the Dallas, to the Texas School Book Depository, hid for several hours, and then shot Kennedy with it. Okay? All right. Now. For many years, many, many, many years, people swallowed this, okay? Now, let's explain in today's research with the declassified files of the ARB why this story does not hold water, okay? And just a this heads up, James, story. this is a short segment, so let's, let's – it will get uh, just this a few minutes. This is a story. Yeah. Oswald was supposed to have ordered this on a weekday while he was at work, 
Okay? Now, go ahead and check his time cards at Jagger Child Stovall and see if he missed any of work that morning. Because he did not. I got it right here in front of me. He checked in at 8 o'clock. And, uh, no, worked right until 3.10 that day. Right. And there's even summaries of what he did. Because on that job, you had to write summaries of what you did. Now, the Warren Commission says that even though what those time cards say, they're wrong, because on that day, he actually left work without telling his supervisor. He went down to the post office, which I think is about eight or nine blocks away. He purchased a money order, okay? But, now get this, he didn't mail the money order at the post office. He walked about another mile out of his way and dropped the money order in an envelope in a, in a post box, okay, in a mailbox. Now, how do we know that? Because of the number on the um, envelope, okay? Back in those days, you didn't have uh, zip codes, so that when they picked up mail, they did it by what they called zone numbers. Right. Okay? All right. So here's the first problem. A, how the hell did Oswald leave work without anybody knowing he left work? And B, why on earth would you not drop a money order off, okay, at the post office where you bought it and go out of your way to drop it in a, a mailbox? Why would you do such a thing? Okay? All right. Now, let's go to the next step. In the, if, if you saw the Warren Commission, Oswald mailed this thing from Dallas, okay? It got to Chicago at Klein's and was deposited into their account in 24 hours. This is over 700 miles away. That's pretty good even I with today with FedEx. <laughs> I, I live in L.A., Okay, there's sometimes I mail stuff that doesn't get within the city in one day. And today we do have zip codes and we do have computers. It's a whole different world. But they want you to believe that not only did it get mailed in one day, it got deposited in one day. Now, let me explain why this is so hard to believe. Okay, listen, we'll, okay. we'll do that. We'll do that when we come back. All right. Quick timeout. James D. Eugenio, the mystery of the mail order murder weapon in the JFK case, episode five, here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't you dare go away. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Welcome back. James Eugenio stays with us uh, for a few moments yet as we discuss the mail-order murder weapon in the JFK case, the Manlicker Carcano that Oswald supposedly ordered under the name of his alias, using his alias A. Heidel. Uh, and uh, again, in Dallas, working at Jagger's Child Stovall, Inc. at the time. And on this particular day, we've got his time card here, Commission Exhibit Number 1855. Uh, he did not punch out. Uh, and yet we're led to believe that around, I guess, 10, 10, 10.30 or so. Yeah, around he, that time. Yeah, he around, left. Around 9.45 or 10 o'clock. He left. Because walk- that letter had to have been mailed by 11. Right, because okay? that's when it's stamped. Uh, yeah. And so he leaves, supposedly, walks eight, nine blocks to the post office, buys the money order, and then walks another mile to a different postal right. zone to mail it. <laughs> Uh, and then comes back to work. That mu- that probably right. would have taken him uh, at least an hour. I'm guessing. 
I would say about an hour, yeah. Yeah, and yet nobody notices uh, he's missing, and his time card is filled out, and it, it, and he accounts for that time in his time card. So right. anyway, right. Uh, right. so that's that's okay. The, now we're going to get to the the other oddity. How the heck this transaction was completed in 24 hours? Okay, so we have to believe the following: somebody, the the route carrier picked up the mail from that mailbox, brought it to the central Dallas-Fort Worth post office. They sorted it all out, put it on the right plane. The plane then flew to Chicago, and then it has to be sorted out at the other end, at the central post office. And then it has to be routed to the proper route carrier. Okay, The route carrier then goes ahead and drops it off at Klein's, and then it had to be sorted at Klein's because Klein's was one of the major mail order houses in America. Sure. They sorted out everything according to check, money order, cash, etc. Okay? They then sorted it out there, okay? And then they walked it over to their Bank of Chicago and then it was put in their account and this happened within 24 hours. I say to you that's unbelievable. Yeah, this is 50 years ago. I mean, you'd be <laughs> hard-pressed to do that today as you say with computers and and FedEx and UPS right. and so forth. Everything was done by hand. Okay? Now, you're going to tell me they could do something like that within 24 hours. I don't buy it. Well, let's suppose they did. Miracle of miracles, they did. Okay, now let's go the... to the next one. Yeah. Let's go to the next miracle, because we're going to be counting the miracles, okay? <laughs> and you have to be, I'll tell you, you have to be like one of the great saints of the Catholic Church to believe all these miracles happen. Okay? All right. Now, the next miracle, if you follow the money order which they have pictures of in the Warren Commission, you will see that it never went through the Federal Reserve System. See, all of Oswald's other checks and those things that are in the Warren Commission that they put in there, you'll see that they all have, I believe, three or four stamps, because whenever you pass a check through, it goes through the Federal Reserve System, and it ends up at a central bank in the area, and it's stamped through by all the other institutions as it goes through the Federal Reserve System. If you go ahead and look at Oswald's checks, you will see that they have those stamps on them. You look at this, it doesn't have anything. Yeah, other than the Klein stamp, I think, on the back. Right, uh, right. And then it ends up in the National Bank, but no other stamps. There's no other stamps on it. Okay, it was no. there's no other stamps on it. Okay? All right? So how on earth did it ever get cashed? All right. Something else. If you go ahead and look at the money order number and you take a look at how many money orders they were selling, that money order is out of order. Okay. At the rate that they were selling them each week. Okay. All right. right. Okay. Okay. Now, that's the problem with sending it. Now, let's talk about the other end, the delivery. Okay. There were two regulations, I think there were two or three regulations that in order to ship firearms at that time, Kleins had to follow, okay? Number one, it was called a 2195 form, all right? There had to be proof of this, okay? A form had to be mailed along with the rifle, and this had to be filled out as to some kind of a proof of character of the recipient. And back in those days, you know, it was something like, you know, we don't want we want to send one of these these one of these right wing maniacs, okay, who might take a shot at somebody, okay. Well, 
that's Oswald never filled one of those out. Okay, but secondly, the other one is that when you ever mail a, a firearm, okay, or even a package to a mail a, a PO box, it has the name has to match, okay, the name on the PO box form. Well, this didn't. The name on the PO box form was Oswald, but he ordered it. He ordered it under his alias A. Heidel. Ordered under so now in that regulation, in that regulation, okay, it states specifically that if this is this rule is not followed, okay, if it does not the name does not match, the post office must return it. Sender must return to sender. Package must be marked return to sender and mailed back. Okay. Further, the application form has to be kept for two years. Now I know this for a fact because I had this kind of a problem with the post office. Okay, and they keep these things for three years for that specific reason because they do not want to be caught giving merchandise to the wrong person. Because on the form, if you authorize anybody to go ahead and take that um, and take merchandise and it goes to the wrong person, that's what saves them because you actually wrote down they can give it to somebody else. Right. So the application – now, really, now follow what I'm saying. If you believe the Warren Commission, the application was, was kept except for that part. In other words, the, the part, where... part where it authorizes anybody else to receive mail, that wasn't kept. Now, on Oswald's New Orleans application, P.O. Box, it was kept. It was kept. Okay? But somehow in Dallas, it was not. So the Warren Commission tried to say Dallas was breaking regulations, which is an absolute lie. Okay? All right? Excuse me, New Orleans broke, broke the regulation, excuse me, but not Dallas, which is a lie. Dallas ditched a third part. Okay? They deliberately ditched a third part. Okay, because they knew that if Heidel's name was on that post office box form, they had a serious problem. Okay, they had a really serious problem if his name isn't there. The question being, how the hell did Oswald ever get that rifle? Right, because they, they can't. Never gotten that far. Again, the now, rifle was ordered under Heidel's name, delivered to Lee Harvey right. Oswald's now, post office box. If you look very carefully in the Warren Commission volumes, okay. It says that dealing with certain aspects of the investigation, I think it's in volume 25, okay, where it actually says that the FBI investigated this and Heidel's name was not on the form, okay, because the FBI has informants at all these P.O. boxes, okay? Right, right. All right, so now, let me another problem. No person at the post office, ever remembered giving that box, that package, to Oswald. Okay? Now, let me ask a question. If you had gone through this process by giving this big package from Kleins to Oswald, and he had to have shown you then that he was really Heidel, because that's the name the package was in, and... No low-level postal employee is going to do something like that without checking with his advisor. 
Okay, if a guy has an alias that proves that he's really this other guy, okay, you're not going to let him do that just with just you. You're going to refer. You're going to bring the supervisor. Is this okay? He's really this guy. No employee of the post office remember doing that, and you would have. Right. I mean, especially right. when you saw Oswald's picture on TV. Okay. Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> oh my God! That's the guy I gave the rifle to. That's the guy. <laughs> okay. All right. Now, one other thing. One other thing. They could never find the specific deposit in the bank records for that transaction. They went all through Klein's records, and they could never pinpoint the exact deposit. And in fact, at one time, they actually had the transaction as being in February, which was the wrong month. And there was actually a bank deposit slip that actually said it took place in February. Right. They could never track and pinpoint which one of the deposits that Klein's was. And in my opinion, the reason they could never do it is because Oswald never sent that money order. And there's one other thing, and that is that the the the, wep- the, the weapon that was supposedly ordered, was it not a... It's a, the wrong rifle. It was a 40-inch, and, <laughs> and the murder weapon was a 36-inch. I'm glad you brought that up. It's the wrong rifle. Explain that. The we- rifle in evidence that the Warren Commission says that was used in the crime is not the rifle... That they said Oswald ordered. What did he supposedly order? A 36 or a 40 inch? Okay, he he supposedly ordered a 36 inch short rifle. Okay, no, excuse me, a 36 inch carbine. The rifle found that the Warren Commission says that was used in the crime was a 40 inch was a 40 inch short rifle. Okay, a carbine is even shorter than a short rifle. Okay. All right. A long rifle is usually like 46 inches. This was classified as a short rifle. So in other words, it was the wrong length and it was the wrong classification. Okay. Now, you ought to hear these guys try and explain this. Okay. You ought to hear them try and explain this. Okay. That it's the wrong rifle. Okay. I mean, it gets ridiculous with these arguments. All right. See, if you follow this transaction, all the way through. And by the way, we, we can go back even further, you know, if you really want to. You can go all the way back to the boat that carried the rifles over from Italy. Yeah, these right. were manufactured, what, about, these were manufactured about 1940, I think. Yeah, right. See, you cannot track the rifle in the packaging from Klein's because there's important stuff that's missing, okay? You know, you can't even show where that actual package of rifles ever was. It was at this warehouse in New Jersey before it went to Klein's, okay? So after going through all this, you know, and then there's the thing about Marina when she was being interviewed by the Secret Service. Marina Oswald, yeah. Yeah. She said, I never saw Lee with a rifle with a scope. Right. She said that in one of her first Secret Service interviews. So... If you put all this back to back to back to back, and we can go into we can go into other stuff too about the how the FBI lied about the serial numbers on these rifles. Well, maybe we can pick but up the, on now, that now, next now, week. Now lie about the serial numbers on the rifles, okay? And, and the reason they lied about it is they did not want to reveal that the serial numbers were not unique to each rifle. Okay, they were not unique because during World War II. 
Mussolini ordered that rifle to be manufactured by, I think, four different rifle manufacturing plants. Jim, maybe we can and pick he, up on some of this next week because we're out of time. But we're okay. going to we're going to uh, reconnoiter here back uh, one week from today and continue with episode six of our series on JFK connecting the dots with James D. Eugenio. Always a pleasure, Jim. Talk next week. Okay, we'll see you. All right. My website richardserrett.com. Say hello on Twitter at Richard Serrett, and also as always, follow the truth wherever it leads. <laughs>